Hello, my friends. How are you today? You're listening to the St. Mark Bemidji Sunday Edition podcast, which is brought to you by Lightsaber Chopsticks. Yes, lightsaber chopsticks, because eating Chinese food in your Sunday best wasn't risky enough with regular chopsticks all by itself. This podcast features a replay of our Sunday sermon, or on occasion a sermon from another Wells sister church. Today's meditation is titled, A Gift Beyond Expectation, and is based on selected verses of Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. But not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. We now join Pastor Zamzow for today's sermon. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior, the greatest gift this world has ever received. Amen. Do you know who the good gift givers are in your family? Like maybe when you were a kid and it was your birthday or it was Christmas or something and you got a certain gift from a certain person, you knew that that gift was going to be awesome. You got a gift from Aunt Sally. You knew who Aunt Sally was. You knew she liked what, she, what, what you liked. She, she knew you better than anybody else. And so when you got the present, you shook the box, you were excited, and you knew that when you ripped the paper off, it was going to be incredible. It was going to be awesome. On the other hand, if Uncle Bill gave you a present, you knew that that might be kind of boring or lame. It might come wrapped up in a brown paper bag and it, probably a pair of socks or a book. Two different people, two different things you know that you can expect. Two different kinds of gifts. Oh, why do I begin this way? I prefaced the sermon this morning in this way to highlight what St. Paul says in this first line of Romans. He says, what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? Well, what matter? What is he talking about? St. Paul is setting up um, this comparison. Here's the things that the world gives and here's the things that God gives. St. Paul is asking, what did Abraham find insofar as the flesh is concerned, insofar as the way of the world is concerned? And make no mistake about it, even by our standards, we see Abraham operating according to the way of the world. In other words, he was doing some pretty incredible stuff. He was doing some pretty incredible works following some very difficult commands from God. We heard about one in our first lesson. 
God goes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, pick up all your stuff and go to a place I will show you. Where are we going? Don't worry about it. I'll show you. And not just your spouse and one camel. Everything. All of your acquired possessions, all of your servants, all of your, all of your, your possessions, all of your livestock, all of those things. Get it, take it with you. Abraham followed God's command. And he went. And when he got there, perhaps you remember that incident uh, from Sunday school where Abraham and Lot are standing on the top of a hill. And one way it's all green, wonderful pasture, and the other way it's kind of desert land. And Abraham graciously gives his nephew Lot the greener pasture and takes for himself the arid land. Or then we see Abraham later on, once the promise is fulfilled to him, he stands there on top of that little hill and he's got his son bound up and he's fully ready and prepared to sacrifice his own son to God before God says, don't do it. Now, by our standards, we see all those things that Abraham has done and it's pretty incredible. By our standard of judging, these things appear to be good enough for God to have loved Abraham, to favor him. To make him the father of many nations. That's what we expect. At some point, that may have even been what Abraham expected. But not a one of those things did anything to save Abraham. St. Paul says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He says, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. So what did Abraham discover according to the flesh, according to the way of the world? Not what he expected. If anything, he discovered that the works of the flesh are worthless, they're pointless, they're useless. Because not a, a, a one of those things did anything to get himself into God's graces. Not the travel, not the sacrifice, not the giving up the good land, none of it. So what did Abraham discover? Well, we have a poignant reminder in the story of Abraham's two sons. Remember that story? Isaac and Ishmael? Or the other way around, rather. Ishmael and Isaac? God had appeared to, um, God appeared to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a son. Even in your old age, you're going to have a son. Abraham says, okay. And Sarah, his wife, chuckles a little bit. And what happens? They wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And the gears start turning in their heads, and they start to begin to think, hey, well, maybe God is expecting us to do something here. So they concoct this whole big scheme involving the, 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 the servant girl, Hagar. And Abraham sleeps with her and he has an illegitimate child. God says, no. That's not what I intended. That's not what I was calling for. I said, you will have a son not illegitimate, not halfway, not something that you brought about. You will have a son that is legitimate. With your wife, Sarah. And only at that point, when Abraham and Sarah realize 
that it's not anything that they're going to do. No scheme, no concocted work of their own that's going to bring about a promise from God. Then and only then does God give them Isaac. And that's why in the New Testament, Isaac and Ishmael stand as an example between the difference between salvation by works and salvation by faith, by grace alone. Because it's beyond expectations. When all expectations, earthly expectations, are shattered, that's when God follows through on His promise and gives what He promises. As St. Paul says, Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, duh, but as an obligation. If a person could earn their way into heaven, if they could work their way into God's graces, the way that the human flesh, the human mind, the way that the world expects and works, do better, work harder, be more faithful, be more pious, then it is not salvation by grace. They are saved by something else. They are saved by that which they expect. Something that they believe they have coming to them. Salvation by works is no salvation at all. It's a wage. Not a gift. The gift is unexpected. The gift is almost unreal and its scope, and how wonderful it is. How is this for unexpected? However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. That word ungodly jump out to you at all? What's that synonymous with? Unbeliever? Atheist? Pagan? Evildoer? All of the above. So what does this mean? That the faith of a person who believes that God justifies the ungodly is counted to him as righteousness. Well, what do we expect? The flesh expects that God loves us or cares for us or does anything for us in view of who we are. In view of something that we have done. That's What the flesh expects. And even experienced, long-time Christians are tempted to turn this all around and think or say that we become believers, that that as, (coughs) excuse me, after we become believers, God justifies us. No. Who acts first? Your faith? My faith? Or God's declaration that you are not guilty. That God's, God has declared, justified the ungodly. God comes to the whole world and says, for Jesus' sake, you are not guilty. And He tells us to proclaim this to everyone. It's a message that our own flesh and blood needs to hear and be reminded of often on a daily basis. That while we were still sinners, before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye, Christ died for you. 
There was nothing that we have done, nothing that we could do to save ourselves or to work our way into God's good graces. This is pure as the driven snow, unadulterated gospel good news. Something that we never expected. A gift that exceeds expectations. As Abraham and Sarah expected to be able to uh, just as one never expected Abraham and Sarah to be able to have a child in their old age, so it is with us. This text reduces you and I to nothing. Shows that our salvation is a gift that's beyond expectation because there's absolutely no strings attached, period. This is a call from God to the world in view of Christ. I love you. No yes but. No, you shall. No, you shan't. No, you must. No, you should. Phrases that we are so familiar with because it's the way we love. It's the way we forgive. It's the way we expect. I heard a sad story once of a pastor who didn't understand this. And it's this text in Romans here and texts like it throughout the Bible that define what true Christianity is. That set Christianity apart from every religion in the world and even Christianity that calls itself Christianity but isn't. Because anything that stands up in the way of God's grace or threatens to overshadow it or to take away from it and the majesty and the unexpectedness of it is false doctrine. This pastor that uh, I'm referring to, guy who's a shepherd of souls, had his Bible in front of him, worked with it every single week, still didn't get it. Said, I can prove with an example that a person can be forgiven, but is still not a justified right with God person. It's it, it, like in the center to a, a house with walls that have blistered paint. You You can't just paint over it and call it good. No, you have to scrape down that paint to a sound surface first. Then and only then can you paint over it. That's how it is with the sinner. God might forgive sins. He scrapes off the old peeling paint, but the sinner isn't good until he gets that new coat of paint. That's the righteousness of Christ that has to be accepted That's what makes sense to us. That jives with our thinking. Yep, God scraped the paint off. Now I must do something. I must accept that sacrifice. I must take that and make it mine. I must be a Christian. I must be faithful. That is not what Paul says here. He says when, a, when righteousness is given, when righteousness is imputed to a sinner, when sins are forgiven, it's one fell swoop. One operation. The blood of Christ strips and stains and covers. All in one motion. The righteousness of Jesus, God's gift to the world, is so perfect that it covers every sin of every person perfectly. That's God's grace. 
And there's nothing that stands up or that the world can say that I expected this or, or I can grasp this. It's the unexpected gift of God. I assume you've at least heard about or maybe you've been following deeply this whole Alex Murdoch trial. There's been documentaries on it. It's been covered in the news at least once a day. Um, maybe you're watching the live coverage or, or whatnot, or maybe you've seen some of those documentaries. Um, they just had the sentencing for it just the other day. He was brought in, brought into the courtroom. The evidence was laid out. The jury took the time to pour over it and evaluate it. And they came back with the guilty verdict. That's what we expect. That's what should happen. And the verdict is read out. You, Alex Murdaugh, have life in prison without the possibility of parole for killing your wife and your son. Not to mention the millions upon millions of dollars that you stole from people that you claim to care about. The evil deeds were drug out into the light. The evidence was examined. It was plain as the driven snow. Duh, lock him up and throw away the key. That's what we expect. What we would never expect, what we would never even offer to do ourselves, is to walk into that courtroom, is for anybody to walk into that courtroom and say, let him go. I'll take the life sentence. I'll take the repercussions for all of this. Alex, pack up your stuff. Get your things together and walk out that door. You're free to go. I'll take the sentence for you. That's what we would never expect. Yet that is the declaration of God's grace that's given to you and me. We've all hated and thus murdered. We've all coveted and thus stolen. We've all set up something greater than God in our life and bowed ourselves down to it and bent ourselves to it and worshipped it. And were we on trial before the gates of heaven and all the evidence of our life laid out bare, the verdict would come back with what we expect. Guilty as sin. And the sentence should be read out. Damned for eternity. Sent away from God, away from all that is good and holy, just and right and true. We should be dead both now and for eternity. That's the declaration that should be over us. But... And this is what I think is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it's so underrated. We have a God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. I love that verse. We were not holy. God says you are. We were guilty. God says you're innocent. We were spiritually dead. God says you're alive. We're unable to to come to Him or find Him on His own, so God calls you through the waters of baptism. We were unable to carry out the law as God demands. God says, I'll do it. I'll do it myself. And in turn, I'll call Jesus something that He is not. He is innocent. I will call Him guilty. He is eternal and forever. I will call Him mortal and put Him in your place. He is innocent? No, I will call Him guilty and give Him your sentence. 
None of this is what we expect, what I expect. None of this is how the world works. That you have to, to, to work in order to get into good graces like this, but God gives it freely as a gift, unasked for and beyond expectations. And so when we sin, when we fall into sin, this is the place to turn back to. This is the place to run home to. It's not about how sorry you are. It's not about how guilty you feel or how long you beat yourself up or how many tears you shed. This declaration stands over you and apart from you. This this forgiveness is given and gifted to you, won for you by the blood of Jesus long before you were born, while you were still a sinner. And for as estranged and sinful and separated from God as it often seems that we are, We have a God that calls things that are not as though they are. And He does the unexpected. He gives you Christ as a gift. And calls you His own dear child. Amen. That's all there is for today. There isn't any more for this podcast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, you might consider subscribing to the podcast and you will get content four times weekly in your favorite podcast app with no further effort. Additionally, you might consider sharing it with a friend. Each and every podcast has a share link in its description, which can be found in the same podcast app you're listening to right now. Let me know if you can't find it, or if you just want to say hello by emailing me at john.kirk at stmarkbemidji.org. Share God's Word and share the light of the world. I also want to take this opportunity to invite you to church with us. Each and every week, we have two church services in Bemidji, Minnesota at 2220 Ann Street on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. Additionally, we have a completely free cup of coffee that comes with a complimentary Bible study at 9.15 a.m. Each and every Bible study is led by a certified and college-educated minister. Or maybe you live in Walker, Minnesota. On the second and fourth Monday of every month, we also have church services there at 1100 Minnesota Avenue West at 7 p.m. Come as you are, and I hope to see you soon. If you have more questions or you want more information about our ministry, check out our website at www.stmarkbemidji.org. Have a blessed rest of your day.